Introduction of A Lear of the Steps, etc. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee Smalley. A Lear of the Steps, etc. by Ivan Turgenev, translated from the Russian by Constance Garnett, 1861-1946. Introduction Part One. An examination of A Lear of the Steps is of especial interest to authors, as the story is so exquisite in its structure, so overwhelming in its effects, that it exposes the artificiality of the great majority of the clever works of art in fiction. A Lear of the Steps is great in art because it is a living, organic whole, springing from the deep roots of life itself, and the innumerable works of art that are fabricated and pasted together from an ingenious plan, works that do not grow from the inevitability of things, appear at once insignificant or false in comparison. In examining the art, the artist will note that Turgenev's method of introducing his story is a lesson in sincerity. Harlov, the leer of the story, is brought forward with such force on the threshold that all eyes resting on his figure cannot but follow his after-movements. And absolute conviction gained, all the artist's artful after-devices and subtle presentations, and sidelights on the story, are not apparent under the straightforward ease and the seeming carelessness with which the narrator describes his boyish memories. Then Harlov's household, his two daughters, and a crowd of minor characters, are brought before us as persons in the tragedy, and we see that all these people are living each from the innate laws of his being, apparently independent of the author's scheme. This conviction, that the author has no prearranged plan, convinces us that in the story we are living a piece of life, here we are verily plunging into life itself. And the story goes on flowing easily and naturally, till the people of the neighbourhood, the peasants, the woods and fields around, are known by us as intimately as is any neighbourhood in life. Suddenly a break, the tragedy is upon us. Suddenly the terrific forces that underlie human life, even the meanest of human lives, burst on us astonished and breathless, precisely as a tragedy comes up to the surface and bursts on us in real life. Everybody runs about dazed, annoyed, futile. We watch the other people sustaining their own individuality inadequately in the face of the monstrous new events which go their fatal way logically, events which leave the people huddled and useless and gasping. And destruction having burst out of life, life slowly returns to its old grooves, with a difference to us, the difference in the relation of people one to another that a death or a tragedy always leaves to the survivors. Marvellous in its truth is Turgenev's analysis of the situation after Harlov's death. Marvellous is the simple description of the neighbourhood's attitude to the Harlov family, and marvellous is the lifting of the scene on the afterlife of Harlov's daughters. In the pages on these women, Turgenev flashes into the reader's mind an extraordinary sense of the inevitability of these women's natures, of their innate growth fashioning their afterlives as logically as a beech puts out beech leaves and an oak oak leaves. 
through Turgenev's single glimpse at their fortunes one knows the whole intervening fifteen years. He has carried us into a new world. Yet it is the old world, one needs to know no more. It is life arbitrary but inevitable, life so clarified by art that it is absolutely interpreted, but life with all the sense of mystery that nature breathes around it in its ceaseless growth. Part Two this sense of inevitability and of the mystery of life which turgenev gives us in a leer of the steps is the highest demand we can make from art asia the last story in the present volume though it gives us a sense of mystery is not inevitable the end is faked to suit the artist's purpose and thus as in other ways it is far inferior to leer faust the second story has consummate charm in its strange atmosphere of the supernatural mingling with things earthly, but it is not, as is Lear, life seen from the surface to the revealed depths. It is a revelation of the strange forces in life, presented beautifully, but it is rather an idea, a problem to be worked out by certain characters, than a piece of life inevitable and growing. When an artist creates in us the sense of inevitability, then his work is at its highest, and is obeying nature's law of growth, unfolding from out itself as inevitably as a tree or a flower or a human being unfolds from out itself. Turgenev, at his highest, never quits nature, yet he always uses the surface, and what is apparent, to disclose her most secret principles, her deepest potentialities, her inmost laws of being, and whatever he presents, he presents clearly and simply. This combination of powers marks only the few supreme artists. Even great masters often fail in perfect naturalness. Tolstoy's The Death of Ivan Ilyich, for example, one of the most powerful stories ever written, has too little that is typical of the whole life, too much that is strained towards the general purpose of the story, to be really natural. Turgenev's special feat in fiction is that his characters reveal themselves by the most ordinary details of their everyday life. And while these details are always giving us the whole life of the people, and their inner life as well, the novel's significance is being built up simply out of these details, built up by the same process, in fact, as nature creates for us a single strong impression out of a multitude of little details. The Impressionists, it is true, often give us amazingly clever pictures of life, seen subtly and drawn naturally, but in general their able pictures of the way men think and act do not reveal more than the actual thinking and acting that men betray to one another. They do not betray the whole significance of their lives more than does the daily life itself. And so the Impressionists give pictures of life's surface, and not interpretations of its eternal depths. They pass away as portraits of the time, amazingly felicitous artistic portraits. But Turgenev's power, as a poet, comes in, whenever he draws a commonplace figure, to make it bring with it a sense of the mystery of its existence. In Lear, the steward, Kvitsinsky, plays a subsidiary part. He has apparently no significance in the story, and very little is told about him. 
but who does not perceive that Turgenev looks at and presents the figure of this man in a manner totally different from the way any clever novelist of the second rank would look at and use him? Kvitsinsky, in Turgenev's hands, is an individual with all the individual's mystery in his glance, his coming and going, his way of taking things. But he is a part of the household's breath, of its very existence. He breathes the atmosphere naturally and creates an atmosphere of his own. If Hugo had created him, he would have been out of focus immediately. Balzac would have described the household minutely, and then let Kvitsinsky appear as a separate entity in it. The Impressionists would sketch him as a living picture, a part of the household, but he would remain as first created. He would always repeat the first impression he makes on us, a certain man in a certain aspect, and they would not give us the steward revealing his character imperceptibly from day to day in his minute actions, naturally, and little by little, as this man reveals his. It is then in his marvellous sense of the growth of life that Turgenev is superior to most of his rivals. Not only did he observe life minutely and comprehensively, but he reproduces it as a constantly growing phenomenon, growing naturally, not accidentally or arbitrarily. For example, in A House of Gentlefolk, take Lavretsky's and Liza's changes of mood when they are falling in love one with another. It is nature herself in them, changing very delicately and insensibly. We feel that the whole picture is alive, not an effect cut out from life, and cut off from it at the same time, like a bunch of cut flowers, an effect which many clever novelists often give us. And in Lear we feel that the life in Harloff's village is still going on, growing yonder, still growing with all its mysterious sameness and changes, when, in Turgenev's last words, the story-teller ceased, and we talked a little longer, and then parted, each to his home. Part Three. Turgenev's sympathy with women, and his unequalled power of drawing them, not merely as they appear to men, but as they appear to each other, has been dwelt on by many writers. And, in truth, of the three leading qualities into which his artistic powers may be arbitrarily analysed, the most apparent is precisely that delicate feminine intuition and sensitive emotional consciousness into all the nuances of personal relations that women possess in life, and are never able to put into books. This fluid sympathetic perception is instinctive in Turgenev. It is his temperament to be sympathetic or receptive to all types, except, perhaps, to purely masculine men of action, whom he never draws with success. His temperament is bathed in a delicate emotional atmosphere, quivering with light, which discloses all the infinite riches of the created world, the relation of each character to its particular universe, and the significance of its human fate. And this state of soul or flow of mood in Turgenev is creative, as when music floats from a distance to the listener, immediately the darkening fields, the rough coarse earth of cheap human life, with all the grind and petty monotony of existence, melt into harmony, and life is seen as a mysterious whole, not merely as a puzzling discrepancy of gaps and contradictions, and days of little import. This fluid emotional consciousness of Turgenev is feminine, 
inasmuch as it is a receptive, sympathizing, and harmonizing attitude. But just where the woman's faculty of receptiveness ends, where her perception fails to go beyond the facts she is alive to, Turgenev's consciousness flashes out into the great poet's creative world, with its immense breadth of vision, force, and imagination. Thus, in laying down a leer of the steps, the reader is conscious that he is seeing past the human life of the tragedy on to the limitless seas of existence beyond. He is looking beyond the heads of the moving human figures, out on to the infinite horizon. Just where the woman's interest would stop, and rest satisfied with the near personal elements in the drama, Turgenev's constructive poetic force sees the universal, and in turn interprets these figures in relation to the far wider field of the race, the age, and makes them symbolical of the deep forces of all human existence. And thus Turgenev becomes a creator, originating a world greater than he received. His creation of Bazarov in Fathers and Children, from a three hours accidental meeting with a man while on a journey, is an extraordinary instance of how unerringly his vision created in forethought a world that was to come. He accepted the man, he was penetrated with the new and strange conceptions of life offered, and as a poet he saw in a flash the immense significance to society of this man's appearance in the age. He saw a new and formidable type had arisen in the nation, negating its traditions, its beliefs, its conceptions and from this solitary meeting with an individual, Turgenev laid bare and predicted the progress of the most formidable social and political movement in modern Russia, predicted it and set it forth in art, a decade before its birth. Part Four. In truth, Turgenev's art, at its highest, may well be the despair of artists who have sufficient insight to understand wherein he excels. He is rich in all the gifts, so he penetrates into everything. But it is the perfect harmony existing between his gifts that makes him see everything in proportion. Thus he never caricatures, he is never too forcible, and never too clever. He is a great realist, and his realism carries along with it the natural breath of poetry. His art is highly complex, but its expression is so pellucid, so simple, that we can see only its body, never the mechanism of its body. His thought and his emotion are blended in one. He interprets life, but always preserves the atmosphere, the glamour, the mystery of the living thing in his interpretation. His creative world arises spontaneously from his own depths, the mark of the world's great masters. Never thinking of himself, he inspires his readers with a secret delight for the beauty that he found everywhere in life, and he never shuts his eyes against the true. Edward Garnett, October 1898 End of Introduction <laughs>